Hi everyone and welcome to Chat AF, the Anime Feminist podcast. My name is Amelia, I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Anime Feminist and I'm joined today by Dee and Peter. If you guys would like to introduce yourselves. Sure. Hi, um, I'm Dee. I'm an editor and writer for Anime Feminist and I also run the anime blog The Jose Next Door. I'm Peter Phobian. I'm an Associates Features Editor for Crunchyroll and a contributor and editor for Anime Feminist. Okay, today we're halfway through the spring 2017 season of anime, and we've all seen, I think, around five or six episodes, I think, of each of our top ten shows in the premiere rankings we put out a month ago. Um, We will link to those in the show notes so you can follow along, and we're just going to talk about what are we still watching, what have we dropped, why... What shows do we think could be better? What shows do we really, really want people to watch? And we'll just go through the top 10 on our list, starting from number 10, which is in the harmless fun category. Um, This is the Royal Tutor. Yay! Uh, Dee, do you want to kick off that conversation? I think you're still watching the Royal Tutor. Oh, uh, yeah, I'm covering it. I'm covering it weekly um, for Anime Evo. Um, Yeah. I I love it. It's it's just it's just delightful, and I and it's it's been kind of a fun one for me because I really one of the reasons I decided to cover it this season was um, well, first of all, I really enjoyed the premiere. It's cute. It's funny. There's nothing about it that bugs me. Like it doesn't do anything that like gets on my nerves, which is great. But I also like the past few seasons I've covered like really kind of in depth. Um, if not, like, you know, serious, dramatic stuff. So I was like, let's just do something cute and fun this season. It'll be great. But it's been kind of fun because even though it, I mean, it's definitely a light comedy first and foremost, it has a little bit more meat on it than I think I was expecting. Um, there's kind of a running conversation about um, kind of the gap between, like, commoners and royalty and, you know, what you and how you can bridge that and, like, if there's ways to bridge that gap and sort of the mutual understanding um, that helps you, like, reframe your understanding of people who, like, at first seem like trash characters, and then, like, you get to know them, and you realize there's <laughs> a lot more to them than you thought. Um, so that kind of appearances versus reality um, is at play in there. Um, and now there's, like, there's, like, a little mystery um, center at the, at the, in my comedy cupcake, because um, there's some backstory with Heine that's... Um, pretty interesting there's some and, plot yeah and, the, and there's, there's a plot, plot there's like, a, there's like an, an evil royal um noble like planning to ruin the the kids lives or something so what um it's a lot <laughs> it, it started as like this just episodic little um i call it the warm-hearted comedy and there's one every season that i won't shut up about um and and that's what the royal tutor kind of started as and now it's kind of developing its own little storyline too and it's um it's it's been interesting it's been a lot of fun yeah, this is one I haven't actually kept up with, but not because I don't want to. I, I do plan to kind of pick it up mm-hmm. at some point and catch up with it. So I'm really pleased that it just gets better and better. I love the first I, episode. It was a lot yeah. of fun. I heartily and recommend just, it. It's it's just it's just it's just a good thirty minutes a week. Um, Peter, are you watching it? Uh, I watched two episodes and then I just kind of fell off. <laughs> well, it wasn't for me. Fair yeah. enough. Yeah, no, entirely fair. Um, I really like it's it's just really kind of cute cartoony comedy and there is absolutely a place for that in my viewing schedule I think so looking forward to picking that one up again um are there any kind of issues of feminist relevance that we should be aware of this one day um I mean the cast is pretty much exclusively dudes so there's not a lot in the <laughs> way of um there's not necessarily anything in the way of um, like women's issues but I yeah. mean I 
I like that the boys are all kind of multifaceted. They don't really fit into like these neat slots about like what a what a man is supposed to be. And I mean, the series is pretty clearly yeah. it's a shonen, but it runs in um, in a Gangan magazine, uh, Fantasy G, I think it's called. Um, and that's kind of known for being a, a shonen magazine for like it's fantasy for girls basically. Um, okay. And you can definitely tell this series is targeted at kind of like a straight teen girl demographic. Um, yes, really. <laughs> which, yes. That's from episode one. <laughs> and, and, but but it's not like it doesn't. I don't know. It's, it doesn't get like creepy. Um, it's just okay. like it's just like sparkly boys sometimes. Um, and again, they um, I like that they all kind of have their own um, issues and dealing with kind of this um, gap between like who people expect them to be and kind of who they actually are. Um, yep. So, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say it's not a show that's like focused on feminist issues, but I think it's perfectly feminist friendly. I don't think there's anything in there that would really that would drive folks away, which is one of the reasons I like it is there's nothing about it that that annoys me. Yep. And those are all the credentials we need, I think. Um, OK, moving into the next category for number nine and upwards is feminist potential. So these are shows that we've watched and we enjoyed them. They didn't have kind of explicitly feminist themes, but we could see that there was kind of scope for that to develop if they took the story in a certain direction. And at the very least, there wasn't anything jarring enough for it to fall down into the pit of shame, which is somewhere around <laughs> numbers 20 to 24 on our list. Mm, yes. Um, so <laughs> number nine is Tsukiga Kire, which I'm watching. Are either of you watching yep. this? I dropped it after episode two. I might go back to it once it finishes, and if people tell me it has a good ending. Um, but I, I don't. I have, I have a couple of minor issues with it, so I figured I'd just wait and see what folks said about it. Okay, well, let's start with Peter. What, what are you? Are you, are you completely caught up yep. with it? Okay, and what do you think so far? I like it. I'm a bit worried uh, about where it's kind of going right now. Uh, one of the things I found attractive about it was it was a romance series that wasn't really super like melodramatic uh usually with that kind of stuff it's like high school romance it's just like it's kind of the opposite isn't uh, it? <laughs> yeah uh well i mean just like i don't know there's a bunch of weird obstacles and like happenstance and just shit yeah. like that like stuff i can't believe uh that like keeps these faded lovers apart or something and in sugigakire <laughs> um i'm actually i, I want to yeah. um write something about it soon i think it uh, it's mostly like the big obstacle is the fact that they both have like it seems like pretty severe anxiety, social anxiety. So yeah. like the, I, the main issue is just they have trouble talking to each other in person while they like very obviously like each other and like to talk uh, uh, via text and line. My concern with the series, I mean, I, I can't really, uh, at least from my perspective, spot out any sort of uh, feminist issues with the show. Uh, but just narratively speaking, I think it's a uh, Chinatsu. Uh, I don't know what's going on with that character. Because uh, early on, I thought there was something going on because she was, like, fantasizing about cheering for Akane. And then now she seems interested in uh, Kotaro. Like, I don't know. I'm pretty sure it's just her being kind of dumb and not realizing she's <laughs> she's becoming a major obstacle between them, which is kind of approaching that melodramatic territory. Um, or if this is, like, something she's doing intentionally. Okay, so let's talk about this, yeah. because this is something that really struck me last time. So for Tsukigakure, yeah. um, this has been a breakout surprise hit for me personally. Yeah. I have looked forward to it every week. I didn't expect that. This isn't usually my kind of story. I think it's very it's a very slice-of-life-y approach to, to romance. It is very middle school. Mm -hmm. It is painfully middle school <laughs> at times. And it's... Uh, 
yeah, it's not one that I would have expected to enjoy myself, but I've kept coming back and just something about these two has really engaged me. I think the fact that they acknowledge their feelings to each other relatively early on, and that leads it more down the my love story kind of route of storytelling rather than extending the will they won't they and dragging it out. And one of the things that I really appreciated was that female friendship is kind of an important part of the story. And also male friendship, you know, they each have their own group of supportive friends and trying to cross those social barriers to spend time with each other when they're so segregated in their classrooms, like that's been a real obstacle for them. But in the most recent story development, one of the main character, what's her name? Akane. So her her friend Chinatsu, isn't yeah. it? She she has now said that she has a crush on Kotaro, despite knowing that the two of them are dating. And it was it was really frustrating for me because a moment before, Akane says, I'm sorry, we're dating. And I, I didn't mean to lie to you. And she says, it's okay, I knew, we're friends, that, you know, that's what's more important. And they have this whole conversation about how important their friendship is to them. And then Chinatsu says, but I still want to tell him how I feel. Yeah, and she was like asking, I, it seems like what she was asking for was so she could do it and then he could say no and that way she could get closure. That's just, I mean, yeah. <laughs> just looking back to being a teenage girl, mm. I think, I mean, obviously my experience won't speak to everyone, but I cannot imagine a situation in which I would put my friend in that position. Yep. And I found it incredibly frustrating like I said for it to go from yes our friendship is more important I acknowledge your feelings and I know that they won't go anywhere and we're both okay with that but can I please jeopardize that all of that for a minute by telling him how I feel and introducing that doubt into your relationship like that was just yeah I think that's why I want almost want to believe she's being manipulative rather than just completely like dunderheaded about it because it, it just seems so but, like targeted but there's kind of no good outcome there isn't this character no. now in feminist terms there's no good outcome either she's completely oblivious mm-hmm. or she is manipulative yeah. and come on we've seen both of those stereotypes time and time again and i really thought they were doing something different for a minute then they've kind of dropped into this rut so we'll see how it develops in the next episode and onwards i have really enjoyed the the story of the two of them becoming closer together they each have their own individual ambitions which i really appreciate I, yeah it has your kryptonite and, in it sorry it has your kryptonite uh, the, i the i was actually going to tweet the scene where they're uh, they uh, they each like don't do so well her at the running meet and him at the like uh, talking to the publisher and then they say, yeah. well, we both pinky promised each other that we'd do better. And then they both motivated each other yeah. to do better again. And I was, yeah. I was I just thought, like, oh, that's why she likes this show. No, <laughs> that's not my kryptonite. Yeah. That's the, I love yeah, that. Yeah. I love that. No, um, my kryptonite is probably the moments where they just don't talk to each other and they don't have an honest conversation. But as weeks go on, those are fading. Yeah. Actually, they are drawing closer together. They are building up more confidence and trust in each other. And that is really nice to see. I just love the fact that they're both quite different. Mm-hmm. You know, Akane is really athletic and Kotaro, he wants to be a novelist. And they've both got their individual ambitions. They've both got their own groups of friends. They've got their own independent lives that they're now trying to connect, but without really telling too many people that they're trying to connect their lives in this way. And it's it's just a really sweet story. I am enjoying it. I hope they don't ruin it all with the best friend suddenly turning out to be manipulative or completely oblivious. Yeah, it'll be super disappointing. It really would. Yeah. 
D, you said you were going to watch it um, and have been, had some concerns. What are those? Um, okay, yeah. Some of them are some of them are petty. Um, one of them is that I found out it's directed <laughs> by uh, Kishi Seiji, and I have kind of been burned by him a couple of times in the past um, with some of his shows that start off really promising and then just, like, faceplant. Um, so I'm waiting to see... Have you see... got an example? I don't know, I don't uh, know the name. I'm still mad about Yuki Yuna is a hero. Okay. <laughs> we're not, not going to get into that on this, but um, nope, I have some, we have are some not. issues with that. Um, and then uh, he had this one, uh, Rampo Kitan, which was recent. And it started off as kind of this really cool um, sort of mystery premise. And he's a very stylist director. Um, but the story just, it just didn't go anywhere. And it wasn't, yeah. Anyway, so I've had... I've had some issues with his work recently. Um, he's done some stuff I really like, mm-hmm. but recently I haven't. So I was like, I'll just wait and see how it ends and see what other people say about it. Um, the other two problems, one is that just in terms of like pacing and tone and um, like story location, I'm not sure I'm in a place right now where I want a slow-paced middle school romance story. Right. Um, which is yeah. fine. That's just a personal taste issue. Um, the main reason I kind of I dropped it after the second episode, though, was they did these little um, shorts after the credits. Um, and I was warming uh, up to the series. Yes. I was warming up to it. And I was like, oh, yeah, maybe I'll stick with this. I, I kind of liked that. And they did this, like, trio of little shorts afterwards, um, kind of, like, pairing yep. some of the side characters together. And one of them was, like, this guy being really aggressive to this girl and her telling him to stop. And then it kind of spun it like, oh, no, she actually wanted him to keep going, even though she didn't yeah. say it. And it just... It no, was, you're absolutely right. It came out of nowhere, and it just was such a surprisingly sour note at the very end of the episode that I was like, mm, good, I don't need to go back to this. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And there have been other... Like, thinking about it, his, his friend, is it Roman? Roman, yeah. Yeah, he has a real thing for his teacher, and he's... Yeah, that's, that's a line they've kind of gone up to a bit, like, beyond, I think, what what we might be comfortable with yeah but they've they've used the side stories to do that more than the main story so in the main episode they don't seem to go there certainly not crossing the lines and then they save it all for these side stories which are of varying uh feminist friendliness so just don't watch anything past the end credits and you'll be fine basically yeah maybe actually although there is some good stuff in in the end credit the sorry in the the post credit uh shorts as well but yeah, if you want to avoid all of that completely, I don't think the main story has those those elements that I can recall. Peter, do you? Uh, I mean, they reference the the Roman teacher thing in yeah, the they sports do. festival episode, but besides that, I don't I don't really think so. But that's him having a crush on his teacher, which, as we've discussed in other podcasts and other contexts, we don't have an issue with in principle. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay, let's move on. <laughs> Number eight, um, Alison Zoroku which I watched one episode of. It was a double premiere. It was one of the earliest premieres, I think, and it took me a really long time to write it. Um, It was Alice in Wonderland references. It was Moe character designs. It was these very kind of childish characters. It just, it really wasn't for me. I haven't kept up with it. I did mean to. I might pick it up again later, but that probably depends on what you two say. So Dee, I I think you're somewhat watching this. Um, yeah, I may have, I might be done with it now. Um, I okay. was kind of on the fence with it, and then it sort of, it zoomed into kind of an action-y plot that um, caught my eye and was, like, really tense for about three episodes there. Um, and then the end of episode <laughs> five feels like the end of a series. Like, it closes up, so it closes up a lot of, like, threads and conflicts and things, 
and I was satisfied with that ending, so I'm not sure if I'm actually going to go back to it, because I'm like, oh, that was fine. I'm, I'm good now. Um, I, got a, I got a conclusion, is kind of how I mean, that felt. was That was probably my biggest criticism in the premiere, is that it felt like it, it shifted tones completely. So it would have like a, a comedy chunk, and then it would have a slice of life chunk, and then it would have this supernatural action chunk, and it didn't feel like there was this consistent tone throughout so that's yeah. continued has it it's, through the yeah it's very much trying to blend um that kind of like cute girl action fantasy sort of you know darker uh, type story and i don't i don't mean dark in like a as like a criticism um in this in this particular no, no, no. case um it's kind of trying to blend that with just like kind of cute girl slice of life uh found family storytelling and i'm okay. kind of okay with both of those when they're done well i don't know yeah. i don't I wasn't particularly enchanted with the slice of life elements of this one, um, but I thought the I, the more supernatural elements and the kind of um, the action focus with some of the adult characters um, did definitely caught my eye and, and really intrigued me for about three episodes there. But then they wrapped that up, so now I don't know. <laughs> Peter, you've watched. Uh, right up to date as well. Yeah, the last episode was actually, like, they brought in all the voice actors and they were sitting on couches talking about the series. And I guess they had... What? They, they, they had specifically <laughs> said... Yeah, it was a special episode. Um, oh, because okay. they had... Uh, I They basically said, we've wrapped up, like, the first arc and they're moving into mm-hmm. the second arc. So, like, as to what you were saying, that makes a lot of sense. I, I feel like they specifically put in the special to kind of create a separation between those two episodes because uh, they're sort of moving into a, the new part of the story with that. I mean, again, I think it ended in a really good spot, so uh, depending upon how the next story arc goes, that may be a good decision to drop it, but I kind of have a mixed feelings about it. I, I've enjoyed it so far. Uh, actually, I want to know what you think about, uh, I think it was the third episode, after mm-hmm. uh, Sonic gets captured, that whole, uh, oh, yeah? uh, like, in the car for, like, half an hour with, uh, what is it, Mini-C? <laughs> uh, Mini, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was... I mean, it was rough, but I, I don't know. I To me, the, sh- the show begins with a premise that is really messed up. It is, you know, these kids kind of being held and experimented on and um, by this government organization. And that, I'm glad that they really went, they addressed that. They were like, yeah, no, this is really messed up. Um, this, you know, this kid is in, is in, a, bad, is in a bad situation. Um, and I didn't feel like they... They tread that very careful line between kind of it turning into just like suffering porn and it just be and it being more just an honest kind of um, these people do not view this this girl as human. Yeah. Um, and so I I didn't think they took it too far. It was a little bit it was surprising definitely, but I was like in the context of the world, um, I thought it made sense and I didn't feel like they sensationalized or fetishized it or anything like that. Uh, there was one line that I think this was probably my biggest problem with the scene. Uh, I definitely I uh, saw the value in that scene because I, they, one of the big kind of like questions about the series is like what makes a human? Is Sana human? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like does your origins or like how you were born dictate what you are or is it like how you act or what you do or what you want, that kind of thing. Uh, so mm-hmm. like yeah. showing Mini-C uh, a human uh, trading uh, Sana so inhumanely kind of put that to the forefront. Uh, but there was one part of the scene where uh, she was, like, crushing her under all of her, like, spectral hands, remember? Mm-hmm. And she yeah. she uh, talked about, you know, she was sort of taunting her. And she said that they had done that to her as part of her marine training, I guess, uh, where they have mm-hmm. a bunch of people hold you down so you can't move. Uh, and yeah. she, then she said, uh, kind of exciting, isn't it? 
And the the way she said that, I I kind of I don't know that felt squicky to me. Kasana was crying at the time. Yeah, you guys aren't convincing me to pick up the the <laughs> series at this point. Honestly, it's not one that I would like recommend. It, no, it's I mean it's not if like it, there's a very specific kind of people. I not oh that doesn't that came out wrong. Oh um, damn. No, that's not that's not what I meant. Um, like there's a there's a kind of show that if you enjoy that kind of show, I think you could enjoy Alice and Roku. But it because it does kind of fluctuate between the slice of life and the kind of more darker action fantasy. Yeah. I think it also can put off people who enjoy both those genres, but maybe not the other one. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So it's it's a weird one. It's kind of like just just try it, and if and if it catches your eye, then you know go for it. But um, do you do you think that the premiere is representative then? That if you watch the premiere and you enjoy it, then you're likely to enjoy the rest. If you watch it and you're not so keen, then that's going to stay consistent. Do you think that's accurate? Yeah, I yeah the, the the premiere gives you a pretty good taste of both sides of the series. I would say okay. Um, I think that, I think the first arc was more of that action fantasy, so if you liked that part and weren't super into the, the slice of life stuff, then you'd probably enjoy, again, at least the first five episodes more than the opposite, I think. Um, but it, yeah, it's, I don't know, it's not one that I'm like, oh, stay away, it was a terrible mistake to watch this, but it's not one that I'm, like, really excited about either, so. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> I'm probably not going to pick it back up. <laughs> it doesn't sound like it's, it's for fine. me at all. Yeah. I'm going to keep watching okay, it. Okay, let's move on. So we'll, we can, really we can revisit it, it, it at the end. Really, it had a really yeah. compelling... I, I liked the antagonist um, of this first arc uh, quite a lot in terms of um, sort of her character arc. And they kind of played with the, um, the sort of the fridging trope where, like, the guy's dead wife is his um, motivation for everything. But in this case, it was the, uh, the, the woman's dead husband. Um so I kind of liked that okay. that sort of archetype switch there, and she was like definitely like a threat and kind of despicable, but also sort of sympathetic and interesting. So I, again, there were things about it I liked, but then they wrapped it all up at episode five. So I don't even know what's going to happen from now on. <laughs> um, I think I'll just read Peter's article yeah. from Crunchyroll about that's, it. That's a good call. Sweet. Yeah, I, I approve. <laughs> okay, number seven. I think we're at uh, Kado. This has been from Kado. what I've seen. This has been quite a polarizing series either people say it's the most boring thing of the season or they say you have to watch cuddle um are you both watching it yeah i am and yeah and you're enjoying watching it (laughs) (laughs) okay Uh, (laughs) that's a resounding silence in response i'm I'm enjoying it i'm gonna i'm gonna say yes um it's a it's a weird show it's yes it is in some ways it kind of i mean like to say it reminds me of Akka, I think, gives maybe the wrong impression about it as a series. Yes. But it reminds me of Akka. It reminds me of Akka in that it does a lot of things that I don't, that you don't necessarily see. So it's yeah. hard to, it's hard to find, like, a decent comparison. Um, and it, it kind of plays with your concept of, like, what a narrative should be in the same way that Akka does, I think. Um, so it can be very frustrating in, in kind of the, the pacing, especially in the early episodes. Um, but, and it doesn't do as good of a job developing its characters as it probably should, but the central ideas are really fascinating and I have no idea where it's going. And so it kind of keeps hooking me just with that sense of, of kind of bizarreness and, um, and sort of, um, uniqueness to the story, I guess. Is that your experience too, Peter? Yeah, I think one thing that I uh, was kind of disappointed by was uh, I, I felt like they were going to sort sort of set um, as the lead roles Shindo and Sadaka, 
Uh, and Hanamori or uh, Soraka. Uh, she's the uh, she. Oh, the, the female negotiator. The UN, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they were going to be talking back and forth, but then it just sort of sidestepped that whole thing, and now it's like Japan versus planet kind of thing. Uh, yes. And Soraka <laughs> has not bit. done too much except for basically object to no. most of the things that they're doing. Yeah, it's really disappointing. In, in a yeah, very distinct, is. like, they specifically place her in, like, your position is wrong and you need to think about this in, like, bigger terms. Uh, which, I don't know. It, and she seems like a very, at least from the, or I don't know if it's just because it's a... Uh, a anime opening where they have to like, like show the female character a whole lot. Like I don't know why they have that like backlit uh, thing of her floating in a fetal pose. <laughs> period. Yes, that, I've been yeah. wondering. I don't about like watching the opening weeks. just because what of that. I'm like, yeah, why is this happening? Like yeah. all the rest of it is like people standing around and like talking and looking dramatic and shit like that, which is appropriate because that's pretty much <laughs> what everybody's doing. The entire that's the show. show. <laughs> yeah, but uh, so I'm not too. Uh, yeah, like the yeah, the cast development has not been tr- tremendously great, but it is very uh, yeah. traditional sci-fi in terms of like uh, kind of the ideas and the scale at which it's it's presenting its ideas. Like the whole thing is just like uh, here's infinite energy. Can humanity? Uh, are we even prepared to accept a gift like this? Yeah, which I th- I like. Have a you lot. seen the most recent episode? Uh, I have no. I haven't been able to watch it. No. Okay. Um, there's a little bit of a, there's, we're, we're switching it up. Something, okay. something different's happening and they're keeping me on my toes. All um, right. so, and again, that's, that's part of what kind of keeps me coming back to it. Um, is, is that element of not necessarily knowing where they're, where the heck this is going. Yeah. Um, so it might be one where I have to wait until the end before I can like wholeheartedly recommend it to people, but I am, I'm definitely enjoying yes. it even, <laughs> even though it annoys me yeah. along the way sometimes. The last one I watched, they, they did the mix up where, uh, what's the, uh, Asano, is that her name? Uh, the crazy uh, scientist. Shinawa, the, the scientist lady, the girl. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, where she, Kanata, she does yeah. the origami. Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That was, that was the, I was like, oh wow, they really, this is gonna, <laughs> I, I thought that was a really good twist. Uh, even though mm-hmm. I, I was like, I don't know, I, like conceptually, I'm just like, that seems like we could have done that the whole time. Uh, I, but at the same time that like, I'm, I'm interested to see what sort of effect that'll have on the entire planet. This origami that she did. Yeah, I actually, it's, it's part of what I like. And part of what frustrates me about the story is the narrative structure of basically every episode is let's spend 15 minutes talking about the ramifications about, of whatever happened at the tail end of the last episode. And then big exciting change up in the last five minutes of the next episode. Yeah. Um, which again can, can make, can make it kind of frustrating, but also kind of addictive. Like I can't stop watching it. So. And a whole lot of talking about why I'm talking to you because it's important that we speak, etc. Yeah. I really like the, I mean, I like the, this kind of general, um, themes, like both the idea of like what people, what humanity will do with, with this kind of like new power source. Um, and then also the sort of communication angle and whether or not true understanding is possible. I mean, it's definitely playing with some, with some cool ideas and I don't dislike the characters. I just don't feel super attached to any of them except poor Hanagami. Um, Hanamori? Hanamori. Hanamori. I always want to call him Hanagami for some reason. Yeah. Hanamori. Okay, well, let me just step in here because the the note that I put in the premier rankings for Cuddle was prominent professional women in the mostly male-led cast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that was the source of feminist potential for this show. Mm. I don't think there's a character I dislike more than that scientist. Shinoa? Yeah, Shinoa. she's very she out of place. drives me up the wall. I, I can't deal with her. She is just so childish. She is... They've got this kind of kooky genius thing going on yeah. and it does not work for me 
at all. It doesn't come across that she is someone to be respected. It comes across that she's someone who needs a carer. And I I just, I, I can't stand her. I can't stand her. She's um, very much playing into the, the childish genius scientist yeah. archetype, um, which is an archetype yeah. I often like, but um, I don't think they're doing it as, I don't think they're, they're doing it particularly well with her. Yeah, um, that moment where she tries to eat... Uh, oh, his hit, yeah. That whole scene. His, his arm, oh his disembodied God. arm. She just tries to eat yeah. it, and they yeah. treat it like it's this, oh, she's thinking outside the box like a scientist. No, that's that, that's just ridiculous. So yeah. that that really got to me. <laughs> and the, the other negotiator, the fact that she is not a direct equivalent to Shindo has no. bothered me. The- so Shindo is completely unflappable. Yeah. He is so calm. He is in well, control of the situation. Wait till you watch the week. newest episode. <laughs> okay, then. Okay. Um, well, he's generally unflappable then. Yeah. Um, and he's he's just calm. He's in control. And that's as you would expect from an experienced negotiator. And when they're talking about, well, who in the entire nation of Japan could possibly negotiate with this alien species? And they first say Shindo. And they say, well, yeah, he's unavailable. Who else? And then they say, well, it's got to be her, hasn't it? And then she just shows none of that whatsoever. In- instead, it's like Shindo kind of embarrassing her by pointing out that moment she laughed on live TV. Um, her saying that she disagrees with kind of the progress that they're working towards and just getting really flustered when she's in conversation with Shindo and mm-hmm. just being on the back foot constantly. Yeah. So I really haven't enjoyed the, the development of the female characters in this. I really like yeah. Shindo and uh, is it Yahagui Zashin- I just call him Zashinina. Zashin- yeah, yeah. Zashinina. Okay, so his his relationship with Shindo and them kind of learning to na- like navigate this brand new path of communication between cultures that is fascinating to me. Yeah. And Hanamori, I have a lot of time for Shindo and Hanamori. I loved the prequel episode. I really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Um, he's being a bit of the butt of the joke at the moment but I'm, I'm so maybe s- that'll change I'm at some kind of point. sad he got sidelined because um, I thought their dynamic I yeah, think their dynamic too. together is is kind of like if there's if there's heart in the show I think it comes from Shindo and Hanamori's like um, dynamic together and um, so the fact yeah, that we really haven't gotten a lot of that is kind of upsetting um, or disappointing I guess um, yeah. no I totally agree with you about the the women characters I will say I guess in, in it's not even really in Kato's defense, but the show very much is set up like Shindo is better. Like Shindo is just so much more everything than everyone. Um, Uber like, bench. I mean, you know, you know, because he. Yeah. I mean, he makes Hanamori look like Hanamori's less competent than um, than probably like the female anyone? negotiator. <laughs> yeah, I, he's adorable. But it's not specifically that like the female characters are incompetent. It's that like everyone kind of looks bad compared to Shindo. Does that make sense? Like the male sure, characters but if you... do too. Um, but I mean I that's true. That but if don't. you only have two major female characters and they both completely pale next to Shindo, like that's, you know, that's where it becomes yeah. a question of, although you give, know, how feminist friendly is yeah. this really? Although give give childish scientist Shinawa credit, she did figure out the spheres. <sighs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. The wham. I mean, if she hadn't though, Shindo obviously would have because he's Shindo. Yeah, there's special. Oh, uh, there's so. a reason for that. Um, Okay. There's a new episode that y'all haven't watched yet. Okay. Um, Let's catch up on this in the when we get to the end of the season. We'll definitely talk about Kado again. Yeah, basically, okay. yeah. I, think I think the best way to describe we'll it to is uh, if you like the the day the Earth stood still. This is very similar. So if it, if you like that okay. kind of sci-fi, I haven't seen it. Uh, yeah, I'll take your there's there's a great remake with uh, Keanu Reeves as the main character. Uh, watch the original. 
No, I mean watch, watch the original. Yeah, watch okay. the original. Yeah. <laughs> it's that kind of sci-fi. Okay, let's move on to number six, I think, right? Uh, yep. Six, yep. Yeah. Okay. That's World End, Skaska. Mm-hmm. Who's watching that? Me. Oh, I am. I think we all are. Yep. Me too. I don't think I've seen the most recent episode. Um, how are you guys finding it so far? Hmm. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's very hot and cold, I think. Uh, yeah. I really like the dynamic it's set up and a lot of the things it's doing narratively. Uh, because mm-hmm. it's kind of like, uh, uh, like I, I said this before, it's a very familiar narrative of kind of, uh, I, I've seen a couple of movies like this where it's kind of like the, the woman back home during a war and what she's doing while her husband is off maybe dying somewhere in an unknown land kind of thing. Except in this case, it's uh, a male lead and he's raising all of these like human weapon girls. And then uh, <laughs> uh, in a lot of situations, they have to... Uh, like, well, uh, what is it? Uh, Kathali is actually supposed to be fated to die. They're like, you will go to this battle and die on this day, and you'll defeat mm-hmm. the enemy, and it'll be good for humanity or whatever, or not humanity, very specifically not humanity. Um, so <laughs> yeah. it's, I like that aspect of it, where it's kind of like he can try to help them develop and, uh, like, improve the aspects of their lives that aren't just fighting and dying, but uh, at the end of the day, he's sort of powerless when they leave. And he has to deal with the fact that he has to, like, keep working and doing other stuff while wondering whether or not they're alive or dead. Yeah. The problem is it just gets, it's uh, kind of turning into a romance with him. And I don't even know how old Kathali is. Because he's... 15. Yeah. How old is he anyway? Do we know? Like, not counting... have no idea how old he is. Not counting the centuries frozen in carbonite. (laughs) He's definitely older than 15, though. Yeah. Yeah. He's... I get the sense he's... I don't don't get the sense he's old by any stretch. No. But he's... um, He's definitely... Maybe, like, late 20s or something. He's probably, like, 20. Well, they talk Um, about, like, how he's basically over the hill almost because he's been fighting for so long that he just can't... His body can't handle it anymore. Uh, I get the feeling, like... Is it like but 30? if he was he fighting, was for but if he was fighting from the age of, but if you know, if this war was going on and they were conscripting soldiers at the age of fifteen, like they are with Kathali, then I could see, I could see his body being destroyed by this um, venom. I think it's called the magic use that they use to like power these swords, yeah. which is apparently very hard on you. Um, yeah. I could see him being washed up within five to ten years, um, like it being the kind of thing where you cannot do it for very long at all. So I still, I don't, I, I suspect he's not supposed to be, I suspect he's still supposed to be fairly young, but he's definitely a grown up. He is an yeah. adult. Okay. But let's put this in context. He is their caretaker. So he yes. is a position of authority in this, this boarding house of young girls. Kathali yeah. seems to be the oldest, but uh, she is she still. And Athea and Ren, I think are all supposed to be about 15. And then everyone else okay. is, is a bit younger. But that is still a child by any definition. Sorry, any 15-year-old listeners and 15-year-old feminists yeah. out there listening to our podcast. Thank you very much. That's w- wonderful. But I, I remember being 15. Right. <laughs> I think we all do. I certainly was not in a position to be in an equal relationship with a soldier in his 20s, I think. I agree with that. And I definitely don't. I'm, I'm very wary of them of them sliding this into a romance, but one thing the most yeah. recent episode did do that I think is interesting, and I'm kind of curious to see how they move forward with the story, is um, Kathali is more, she's pretty self-aware um, and, mm-hmm. um, of, and aware of others as well, and so she kind of calls Willem out on some things he does in the most recent episode. Um, and one thing that they do kind of a nice job of with them coming back from this war and kind of showing them during the fight is pointing out that they're 15 and they're definitely young and they're definitely inexperienced in certain areas, but 
they're also soldiers and they're not. And so it's kind of asking, there is kind of a question here of at what point do you stop considering someone a child? Like, is it age or is it, is, is it the, you know, the experiences and the responsibilities that are put on you? Cause I mean, I definitely was, um, I mean, you know, as a 15 year old, I was, I would definitely consider myself a kid, but I was also not being told I was going to go fight a battle and die either. Yeah. So, um, yeah. I think, I think there's, 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 they're doing something very interesting with the story, which I like. And again, I'm wary about the romantic elements, but they are trying to shift the power dynamics a little bit, I think, and showing that, um, Willem is their caretaker, but they are also in a position where they can, where he can kind of learn and receive support from them. And I like that dynamic. I just, yeah. like Peter, I'm just worried about how they're going to, how they're going to go forward with it. It's kind of like Monster Girls, actually, where it, it's set oh, up yeah. an interesting dynamic that is like hedging on like harem or very bad romance. And it's kind of like we're, we're always concerned they're going to fall off the cliff, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, that, that's exactly right, though. And in that, I, I think my issue with this is the same as with that, is that for as long as it's from a child's perspective, like having a crush on an older guy, totally standard, that's you know not an issue at all as soon as he starts coming closer to that line that's where i start getting concerned so my issue with interviews with monster girls was always when the the teacher takahashi was the one asking questions which crossed lines was the one who was kind of making Mm -hmm. those those steps towards his students whereas when they were the ones kind of approaching him it didn't feel that way at all and it's this situation as well so there's there's a moment where willem goes like he he shouts you guys at the three the three girls when they come back from from a battle mm-hmm. and he runs over but he just hugs Tholly and that I don't know it, it rang alarm bells for me and I don't know if they're gonna go anywhere with it but just the fact that he didn't hug all of them mm, just raised that, a question mark that actually didn't bother me and I it didn't bother me because Cthali was the only one who was supposed to die the others were supposed to come back like there was no real I mean obviously anyone can die during a battle but there was no none of the others were fated. Like, there was always this sense of, like, well, if things go sour, Cathali is going to uh, kill herself, like, to destroy this enemy. Kamikaze it. Kam- yeah. So... I kind of wish they'd made that explicit then, because all we got was him embracing her, and only her, and then, you know, them her saying, I can't breathe, you need to get off me, him not doing that, and then when he did do, like, eventually realised what he was realized, doing, a step yeah. away, and she slapped him, that was and looked dumb. very upset. I, yeah, and, I hated the slap. I was like, come on, show, you're better than this. Oh. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think you and I talked about this um, over Messenger. But I, th- I said, you know, if she's, she's, you know, she feels strongly about him anyway. Couldn't she have just hugged him back? Or at least, you know, couldn't he have said something um, about the fact that she didn't die to show, you know, his reason for hugging her that just would have made it seem a little less like he just picked her out to to hug for an uncomfortably long period of time putting her through this kind of physical discomfort um and embarrassing her by the looks of it so i I didn't enjoy that scene at all and that's a shame because i love dramatic reunions i love stuff like that (laughs) i would have really enjoyed it had they framed it a bit differently yeah but as we've as we've covered framing is perhaps not world end's strong suit at times. At times it's great, and then at other times it's it's just, it's, what are you doing? Why are you trying to play yeah. on these on these um, kind of cliches that um, make the story worse, not better? So, yeah. Okay, next one in the list, number five, uh, was Recreators. Have either of you seen this? No. No. 
No. Thanks, Amazon. Yes. I, yes. I have seen it. Um, I won't go into too much detail. This was actually the premiere I was most excited about. And I went straight back to our group chat and I was like, Peter, you have to watch this. I know you can't right now, but you have to watch it at some point. Um, And I probably would still stand by that. I think you would really enjoy it when you can get it through through another another source. Yeah. Um, But it is its strength continues to be the fact that it has quite powerful female characters, like a range of them. But it's not it's not one of those you have female characters specifically just to be a cast of women with no men in the vicinity like there are male characters too um there's different aesthetics there's different kind of strength types there's different temperaments it's you know a very enjoyable cast to spend time with um the first episode is probably the tightest storytelling that it has Uh, it has dropped into this kind of tell don't show mode a lot of the time which i think they really need to fix since they've got a cast of characters who are really action focused yeah. um it would be good to see them show a bit more and also there are certain um plot points from the opening episode which are extremely intriguing and then they just don't touch them for five episodes so okay um hopefully they will start picking those threads up and by the end we'll have something really special yeah i've seen clips and heard moment, a lot of good things so it is something yeah, I'm interested it in. sounds it sounds fun for sure it is absolutely fun, definitely. I don't think it's quite going to live up to my expectations from episode one, but I am enjoying it, um, and I, I am intrigued to see where they go with it. I think the people who'll benefit from it most, probably someone like Frog, who's really familiar with light novel tropes, um, because this is all about light novel characters. Yeah, it seems super light novel <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. So if you don't know those tropes, it's still fun, but I think that there's a lot of Easter eggs that I'm missing because I'm just not not in that scene. So I do hope that you both get a chance to watch it at some point, especially you, Peter. This is, yeah, I think you would really enjoy it once you get to it. But I completely understand that's not an option right now. When the opportunity arises. When the opportunity arises, which will at some point. Um, That is the last in our category for feminist potential. Um, So as you can see, some of them have met their feminist potential better than others. But there is still half a season to go. So we'll come back to those at the end of the season and maybe our assessments will have changed. So now we're going to move into the last category, which is feminist themes. And these were ones that that we kind of identified. I say we, I think I did all of these (laughs) reviews. So I decided they all had explicit feminist themes. Uh, Number four was Grand Blue Fantasy, which in the premiere has a real emphasis on agency and consent. How do you think it's continued those themes uh, through the rest of the series. Are you both watching it? Or? Uh, I've, I'm like an episode or two behind at this point. Uh, okay. I, yeah. I'm mostly caught up where uh, listeners were recording this on a Sunday and episode seven came, <laughs> episode seven came out yesterday. So I haven't yeah. seen episode seven, but I've seen the first six. Yeah. I've seen the first five, I think. So how do we think it's handling it so far? Uh, I, w- I have no complaints, really. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think that 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 was the uh, you pretty much like kind of summed it up. I I feel like it hasn't done anything bad, but I also like I don't think I found anything that was really interesting about the series after the first two episodes. Uh, The whole subplot where they go to that other town and meet that guy with that air like the the airship. I guess that's how they get the airship. I was just bored bored to tears to be honest. Really, I like Rackham. I like Rackham a lot. Maybe I just like his character design, but. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, I he seemed like an okay character. It's just like nothing, nothing was really happening. Uh, they like ran into the the two demons a uh, couple times who were acting very strangely. Uh, mm-hmm. Like I, I didn't quite get Dragon Sturm. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, I don't know. It just like it, it meandered for a really long time, and it felt like I, I knew exactly what was going to happen. They were going to get the airship and fly off, but it was it was just <laughs> taking so long to happen. And I was like, please just get on the airship and leave. Like I, w- I want the story to move. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I guess that's my. I like I, nothing bad happened. It's just no, like no events surprised me. Uh, nothing felt particularly charming. Uh, that might be the most like. It's... I'm really. I'm really enjoying the journey of this okay. one. I think it feels to me almost like a film that's been cut up into episodes, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think rather than each episode having its own kind of clear arc. Mm-hmm. Um, and it it hits a lot of kind of Laputa notes for me. And Laputa is one of my my favorite all time films ever. So mm-hmm. that the, like, the aesthetics of that alone, I'm kind of stuck on. Yeah, and really I'm enjoying. in love with the. I'm in love with the art design and the character designs. Yeah, um, I'm sure. really enjoying it. It reminds and I'm just me, in- and I, probably because it is, it's a fantasy, it's a very kind of straightforward fantasy yes. JRPG. And I like straightforward fantasy JRPGs, so I'm enjoying it from that perspective too. Yeah, um, absolutely. And my one concern in the premiere, um, I think I mentioned this in the review, was that uh, Gran takes on some of uh, Luria's power. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, so is he going to become, is he going to become the Kirito, basically? Is he going to become the all-powerful guy who the powerful women end up kind of standing behind to be protected? I think they might be headed down that road based on what I saw in episode five. where Here's, they, yeah. I mean, they're, they, they're facing this goddess, and Lyra's like, I can help, I can do this. And then they get close enough and she's like, I don't know, actually, Grand, you need to do this here. Let me give you some more power so you can go and do this. And I admire her collaborative spirit, but that yeah. it just it continues that concern for me. And I worry mm-hmm. that at the very end, we're going to get people like Catalina being completely relegated. And I'm not sure I'm OK with that. Yeah, I what, what I'll give it is it's I mean, it's it's a story about it's a hero's journey. And the hero in this case is, mm-hmm. a, is a boy. So he's going to be he's going to be the guy who saves the day. I mean, that's how the yeah. hero's journey story goes, regardless of the gender of the main character. Um, yeah. And I guess in the video game you can play as either. So it's kind of a bummer that they didn't make Gran a, a girl. But, exactly. And but that is that that is I, feedback I that we got in the comments for the yeah. review for this one. People saying, well, actually, in the game, you can be a woman and you can be going through this exact story. And wouldn't that have been something special? It, yeah, I mean, it, it would have... I don't know if how much it would have changed the story itself, but like from a viewer's perspective, it would have kind of yes. changed the way some of the some of the character dynamics work out. Um, what I well, will... we're looking at this and we're saying, well, there's nothing wrong with it. And that's kind of the most positive thing that we can say about it. I'm saying I'm enjoying it, but it isn't... You know, it's, it's going up against some pretty strong fantasy shows this season mm-hmm. and it's not standing out. No, and actually it's... having a female protagonist would have really made it stand out for all the right reasons. And mm-hmm. especially if they hadn't changed the dynamics in any huge way, yeah. <laughs> that would have been really incredible. Mm-hmm. I do Missed like opportunity. I do like that Lyria and Gran are it's totally collaborative. Like Gran doesn't really have any power on his own. Um so the fact that it's kind of a partnership between the two of them, um I enjoy that. And they mm. haven't like they've kind of like the side characters do kind of get sidelined so that Gran can be the hero. Um but they don't there's never really been a moment where I felt like they like turned Catalina into a damsel or anything. 
Um, it was kind of no, like, depending absolutely on the, not. Depending on the situation, um, sometimes they needed Gran and Lyria to use their superpowers, and sometimes Catalina needed to do her thing. And I, I really liked the scene where she kind of talked to him, and she's like, hey, next time you're going to do something uh, wild, you kind of need to tell me, because I yeah. consider myself your guardian, and I want to make sure that I know what's going on and can kind of keep yeah. an eye on you guys. On the whole, I am really happy with mm-hmm. the dynamics that they have. I think just the fact that was a concern in the premiere, mm-hmm. and it seems to maybe be upheld. Yeah. It makes me wonder where the series is going to land by the ending yeah. on this note, I think. Yeah. So, I mean, I fully expect Grand to save the day. Um, but as long as sure. they don't just but is turn he everyone gonna save the day like useless characters. Yeah. Exactly. Is he going to save the day single-handedly, or is it going to be this collaborative effort with just him at the front with his sword and Luria's power? Like that's that would be a key difference that would decide whether I could recommend this to people or not. I think. Yeah. I, yeah. I kind of agree with that. Okay. Number three was Kabukibu, mm-hmm. which neither of you have seen, nope. and I'm nope. so sad about this because mm-hmm. I think. Now, I'm I'm maybe going to overstate this, but I think this might be the most feminist relevant show of the entire season. It is... Wow. It really challenges gender norms. It really challenges your kind of... The, the stereotypical dynamics that you would expect between male and female high school students, for example. There is a character who comes across as potentially trans, potentially non-binary. There, It really is kind of it's not explicit in the terms of being named that way but you have a character who's saying I really want to appear as feminine and my body keeps changing and I'm not happy about it so you have situations like that where actually there's a lot for for a feminist viewer to really really appreciate Mm -hmm. and there's there's a lot of amazing discussion that could come out of it and you and Vry need to watch this (laughs) you really need to watch this so this is again this is kind of for you guys what um recreators is for peter like Mm -hmm. as soon as it becomes possible as soon as it becomes an option please watch this it's i think i think i would potentially put it at the top of the rankings at the end of this season that time will tell on Mm -hmm. that and i hope at some day we can talk about it in more detail than we currently can that sure would be nice (laughs) Okay, let's move on quickly then, because that is too frustrating for me. <laughs> <laughs> Number two, Sakura Quest. I'm not watching this because really? I, I want to. I want to. I want to. But I actually got so behind on the entire season and I have been catching up and I didn't have quite as much time yesterday to catch up as I'd hoped. So I'm a bit behind on this one, but I, I expect to enjoy it. How are you guys finding it at the moment? You're both watching it, aren't yeah. you? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, Peter, how's Sakura Quest for you? It's... I, I have mixed feelings about it. I feel like it's... I kind of like... I remember I really liked the ending to the first episode. Uh, kind of like her mm-hmm. personal revelation about how that town was actually something, like, somewhat meaningful to her. Yes. And uh, just the way they're sort of organizing... I, I like the story. I especially like kind of like the themes of... Uh, um, Nick Creamer wrote a really good article about how it's kind of like about late capitalism and it kind of seems like there's no actual solution to the problem they're trying to solve just because that's kind of how the the direction things are going and they're very small people in a small town in the middle of nowhere and uh, like the most they could do is maybe like create some meaningful change for them. I don't know. I don't I feel like the show kind of lacks any kind of tension really and I've heard this uh Miles was kind of uh, talking up this show because it would it I I don't know if it's the same people who made Shirobako, um, 
but mm, same studio, but not um, director and I think I mean I think the character designer might be the same and maybe some of the animation folks, but in terms okay. of like director writer, it's a different it's a different duo. Okay, uh, yeah, but uh, some of the complaints I've heard about Shirobako where it's kind of like lacking any sort of dramatic tension, I'm really kind of feeling in this show. It fi- feels like there's no consequences for failure because success and failure ultimately are almost the same thing. I find the characters pretty good. I mean, like, as, as far as, like, problematic elements, I can't really see any insight, but um, I don't really, like, love any of the characters either. Uh, they're, like, kind of off-entertaining sometimes, but I, I don't know. Like, nothing... I guess it's kind of the same as Grand Blue for me, where nothing's really grabbed me. Um, I can't identify any problems, but I'm not, like, super in love with it either. I may be the only Are you finding it, Dave? I really like it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's not one that I feel like... I, I don't often feel like I have a lot to say about it yet, and part of that may just be because it's going to be too core long, and they're, and they're kind of um, slowly unwinding it and sort of introducing you to everybody. Um, it feels kind of like a sitcom, um, I think, is the structure of it, which is maybe why this the um, that sort of maybe lack of um, like really intense stakes that Peter was talking about doesn't really bother me because I think it's more interested in sort of the individual character journeys and um, these kind of little episodic arcs as they like slowly try to rejuvenate the town via different methods that, that succeed and fail um, alternatingly. Um, I described it as anime Parks and Recreation after three episodes, and I think that still kind of holds, and I really liked Parks and Rec. So, um, no, I'm in Parks and Rec. It. Yeah, that's, I, that's, that gives me hope. That's, that's kind of what it reminds me of. Um, I, I really like the characters. A lot of them have um, elements to them where they're in their early to mid-20s and they're kind of reevaluating um, sort of what they want to do with their lives going forward. Relatable. Yes, exactly. Um, so <laughs> I've definitely, sometimes there's moments where I'm like, where it's like, oh, same. And then there's other moments where it's like, oh, too same. Um, it's, <laughs> it's a little too close to home. Um, one of the characters, uh, Sanae, is, um, she's the one who, she's the web designer. Who, okay. um, she lives in Tokyo for a while and then she kind of has like a career crisis where she sort of works herself into the ground. And then realizes that despite working herself into the ground, like, that job she was doing, like, anyone could have done. And it she doesn't. So she kind of has this moment of, like, both killing herself in her career and then also kind of realizing that she's not important. And I see what you mean by two things. Yeah. Oh, my word. <laughs> and it's, it's, I mean, but I, and I like that, but I, I like that about it. I like that they're, um, it's not just, my biggest, so I ended up really liking Shinobako. But my biggest complaint about the first, like, six episodes or so was that it felt a little too kind of fluffy from time to time. Okay. Um, and it gets, I think it gets better about that as it goes. Um, I like that Sakura Quest really isn't shying away from a lot of the kind of unglamorous and no real easy answer kind of you just sort of have to keep trying stuff and figuring things out. And it really, the, the core focus is kind of on the community and the friendship that these uh, five young women build. And I like that, too, because it kind of gives them all motivation moving forward and is one of the main reasons Yoshino decides to stick around is because she's like, well, I like working with you guys. So if you guys will stick with me on this, I'll I'll fill out my yearly contract here. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I, it's, there's not enough anime set in the workplace, I think, considering that, you know, for many of us who watch anime, we spend, you know, 40 plus hours a week in in this situation that we just don't see reflected in anime an awful lot mm-hmm. and especially especially kind of your everyday office type workplace which a lot of us are stuck in mm-hmm. so it would be 
yeah, I think it would be really nice to to have a show like what do I mean really nice to I think I'm looking forward to this I'm going to enjoy it mm-hmm. um my concern I actually started watching the second episode and it just didn't grab me so does it mm-hmm. does it actually pick up kind of momentum as it goes or is it very it's, it's a sitcom it's very kind of one to two episode arcs um solving okay. a, a situation or a problem or you know some new plan that they have going forward okay I can get into that. I'll check it out and I will join you guys in discussion for it in the end of season wrap up podcast episode. We'll see what I think then. Okay, number one on the list I put as Grimoire of Zero. And again, this is one that neither of you have seen. So (laughs) this is going to be a very short discussion. Um, I'm really enjoying it. I'm really enjoying it. I think that it raises a lot of questions. It's Whereas Kabuki Boo is doing something quite feminist in that, for example, it's got this more effeminate male presenting character, at least. It's got this masculine female character. It's got complete acceptance of living outside of gender norms. And it's it's got kind of supportive adult characters as well. So it's a really kind of positive feminist show, I think. Whereas Grimoire of Zero does more in terms of raising questions. So you've got this character at the center who is a beast fallen. He is human, technically, but he he's in the body of an animal. He's, I think he's a wild cat or something. Mm-hmm. But he, he looks like a tiger. He, Yes, okay, that'll do. <laughs> he looks like the animal, frosted flakes tiger, no. but gray. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, he's white or gray, and he's, um, he's protecting this witch who looks like quite a young girl um she is an adult but she's she is a very accomplished witch um and he's also looking after by the end of the episode he's also looking after another witch um and he's kind of their protector and at the beginning he hates witches he hates magic he says i you know and he hates kind of the way he looks he really wants to be human beast fallen are discriminated against but so are witches but witches have this power that beast fallen don't, but beast fallen have this physical power, whereas the witches that we've seen so far, they they look on the more fragile side physically. So there's there's really it's a really intersectional way of looking at things. And we as the season goes on, he talks more about his feelings towards other beast fallen. Like he'll talk about um another beast fallen kind of giving giving them a bad name. And he talks about the effect that has that people won't let him stay in their hotels and things like that because of the reputation built up by the more problematic people of his species. So it's all sorts of um, all sorts of concerns and questions and topics that have some real world analogies. Um, I think that, you know, as a mixed race person myself, as a person of colour, I really, really identify with some of the things that he says and thinks. But I also you know that when I say identify, this is kind of many more years ago when I was kind of going through, kind of learning about my own racial identity and learning how comfortable I was with it, kind of feeling that out for myself. And he's in this position where he he feels real resentment towards his his physical appearance, and it, like it doesn't reflect who he is inside. And he just wants to get rid of his fur, get rid of his animal trappings, and look like a human, the human that he feels. And the witch who's with him is like, but why? Your fur's amazing. It's really soft and warm and comfortable. And, you know, you are human. You just you look slightly different. And she's very accepting. 
and he's not as accepting as she is of the way that he looks. And I'm hoping that over time he builds up more comfort with that. So far, we've seen him break down certain preconceptions he had held about witches. He used to say he hated witches. He used to say he hated magic. As time goes on, he's softening his stances on these things. And I'm hoping that by the end, that will apply to his own identity as well. So I think that there is a real story of feminist interest and feminist relevance at the center of this and i think it would spark some really interesting discussion it is not as kabukibu is kind of a positive feminist representation this is somebody who's going through a struggle with his own identity surrounded by other marginalized people who are being discriminated against in different ways to the way that he is discriminated against and they need to support each other in order to make it through this this Kind of universe they're in in order to accomplish their quest so i'm again i hope that you guys can watch it at some point that sounds fascinating <laughs> anyway <laughs> yeah Grim grimoire of zero is one i would really like to recommend to those who are able to see it um hopefully at some point we can all have a proper discussion about it okay that's all for our top 10 rankings in the last five minutes i just want to look at sequels because this has been a season of some really high profile and very popular sequels. I think probably a lot of people are watching Attack on Titan season two, mm -hmm. just as an example. I know I am. That may well yeah. be a separate podcast at some point. Um, so <laughs> that would be fun. We're, all, we're all watching different sequels. Dee, what's your recommendation in terms of the sequels that are out there right now? The Eccentric Family. Um, I'll get a, I'll get a megaphone and I'll just shout it from rooftops. Um, you, so. you've just sped up. You're talking so much. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I get excited and then I talk fast. Um, okay. Yeah, tell me, know. I've never seen the eccentric family. I know nothing about it. Okay. Why should I watch it? Oh my it? God. Please watch it. Oh no. Yeah. It just watch it. Yeah. <laughs> but I haven't seen the first no, season. No, you can still watch it's season two. It's not available two. to stream. It's not, but you can still watch season two. It works. I, okay. Mm, yeah, but mm, no, you should watch season one first. Just, just, find just, just find <laughs> I'm getting some mixed it. messages here. Um, it's honestly okay. <laughs> okay, so D, a, why is it good? Why is it good? Uh, why is it good? It's first of all, it's it's beautiful. Like it's one of the most complete works I think in terms of combining the writing with the with the art, with the voice acting, with the music to create really this very unique fantastical world that feels like just slightly like just out of the corner of your eye um because it, it it's in kyoto and um it follows like tanuki and tengu and humans and this sort of tentative peace they kind of have with each other this this back and forth dynamic the three the three sort of groups have and it is it's one of those series that i have a hard time talking about because i love it so much it's, it's sometimes hard for me to put into words exactly what about it just enchants me as much as it does. Um, and I think it's a combination of it's primarily a family story, and I have a fatal weakness for family stories. Um, <laughs> about um, the first season about the Tanuki family, and the second season is kind of exploring um, both, both continuing to follow the, the main sort of uh, Tanuki uh, family there, but then also um, some of the more difficult relationships between uh the the tengu and the humans and um it it really kind of challenges you in some ways to see the world from a different perspective in a way that i think is very unique because um like just as an example uh tanuki run the risk of getting eaten by humans uh getting thrown into a hot pot and it's which you know as a person like you know reading it there's this kind of um, 
initial idea of like, oh, that's monstrous, how terrible, but the Tanuki look at it as kind of a natural part of life, like the way I think we maybe look at cancer. Like it's a it's a terrible, sad thing when it happens, but it's just, it's part of kind of being, I guess. So those elements of the story are um, are really kind of fascinating to me, um, but, then it, but then it draws you in with these very kind of um, human relationships between the different characters, and they're, they're complicated, and there's a push and a pull between everybody, um, but, at the, but at the base of it is this, is this kind of like lasting familial love, which is just, just lovely. Um, and then it, it does, you know, just in terms of like uh, feminist terms, it follows kind of a it follows a, a, a male protagonist, but there's a lot of, like, really interesting kind of fun female characters um, on the margins. Benten is fascinating, um, and someday I would, I would like to write something about her, but I kind of want to wait until the series is done before I make any, any kind of uh, conversations there. Yeah, this is a huge arc um, for her. Okay, you can, you can pitch me in six weeks. Yeah. She's really, yeah, well, and even then, because I think there's going to be, I think it's supposed to be a, a trilogy of novels. Oh, and really? so there's a part of me that's hesitant to talk about her at all until I have like the full story. Um, cause she's just so, she's very interesting. Um, but then like as kind of a simpler example, like, um, their mom is very much sort of the loving, um, kind of maternal figure that you see a lot of, but at the same time, she likes to go out to pool halls dressed up as like a Takarazuka style prince and take people for their money. And she, when she gets mad, she just starts <laughs> screaming, go to hell at everybody. And just, and there's, there's this really, the, all of the characters have these really nice kind of layers and quirks and, and the dynamics are just, it's so good. I can't stop. Now I can't stop yeah. talking about it. Um, the new characters are great But too. I should watch the first season first. I love it. Yeah. It's, I, I think so. I think that it, I think that it sets up the character dynamics and the sort of the backstory among the Tanuki and their kind of, um, at first strained relationships with some of the other characters and how that all comes together. I think it's worth watching the first season first. And I will say there is a box set on um, Right Stuff that is not cheap, but it is 100% worth it. This is one of my all-time favorite uh, shows. This is top 10, easily. I, um, uh, yeah, I believe you, but... So, <laughs> um, I, no, do, I do believe you, but let's just... DVD purchase is not an option. It's not available to stream. You think I should wait until it's available to stream again? Or do you think I could actually watch the second season without having seen the first? I feel like you could. Mm-hmm. Maybe uh, a lot of it would not make as much sense. Uh, I wouldn't. Okay. <laughs> I wouldn't. I would just wait. I would find a. I would just. Yeah. Wait. Find, okay. Wait, that's hope, fine. I can wait. Find a way. I don't. I don't. I don't know. Um, steal somebody else's Blu-ray box set. I will mail it to you, so you can watch <laughs> it. It won't play on my DVD player. I'm in the no, wrong. It's, the wrong region. Should. It's Blu-ray. Blu-rays. Blu-rays should. I think Blu-ray is one. A lot of stuff is region-free now. Yeah. yeah. You can tell how long it's been since I played a DVD. Or, or <laughs> when you come to visit, you'll be here for three weeks for conventions. Yeah. I you will. Okay. Okay. Um. Um, <laughs> I might be a little bit busy, but we'll see what yeah. we can do. <laughs> okay, Peter, what sequel would you recommend? Uh, well, probably Eccentric Family, but we got that covered. So uh, <laughs> Berserk is a series that's near and dear to me. I feel like it's probably some of the best Western mm-hmm. fantasy that's ever been written. And we're entering. Wow. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. That's not exaggeration. And I read a lot of fantasy. I wasted many years of my life. Um, it, it's not a waste. Yeah. That's right. Uh, 
Yeah, this this is this the story arc where uh, I feel like Mira kind of turns uh, takes a turn uh, in in like the the narrative that he's telling, whereas before it's very like guts is very like revenge focused and isolated, uh, and it's a very kind of like small world that he exists in after the events of the Golden Age. This one kind of like blows the world back up again and uh, okay. introduces a ton of new characters and character dynamics. Uh, they're still the, the series is very intense and i would say also problematic uh there's uh uh several rape scenes and stuff like that like if, if you're uncomfortable with that you might not be able to watch it but yeah. uh i i would encourage anybody who thinks that they can watch something like that to do so in this case it also this is where it like introduces a lot of my well uh farnese exists before but this is where she sort of turns as well and becomes probably one of the most like maybe fascinating female characters i've seen in anime or manga because uh, she is kind of, uh, she's this like heavily uh, religious person when she first meets Guts and uh, encountering him in the world he lives in kind of reveals to her how insufficient uh, the church's teachings have been toward her kind of uh, facing and understanding the world. And she's sort of left in a place where she can't, uh, like she's kind of lost, I guess. And now she has to kind of, figure out how she can exist knowing what she knows and seeing how inadequate like the way she, her life's been kind of structured for her has been uh, while following with all these other characters. And on the same note, you also get introduced with uh, Shirk, who is this like hyper-competent uh, witch who somebody Farnese would have burned before. And she is like absolutely probably one of the the strongest characters in the series but and she uh, every like whenever she encounters a situation she knows what to do uh but at the same time if there's like some sort of failure or like encountering other people and talking to them she's not quite as familiar with that yet and uh i feel like she gets a very interesting rapport with guts where they're kind of like building on each other uh because guts has lived so long he has a lot of certainty about certain aspects of the world Whereas she has a much greater understanding of like the way the world is put together, um, but she's not as experienced as him, and they kind of mutually support each other that way. I just all the character narratives just become really, 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 really good, and all the while like the bottoms dropping out of of this world, which was uh, I don't know if you guys know uh, hard fantasy, it's where it's like very realistic, um, and it it sort of he keeps on like digging this well like deeper into like our our understanding of how the world's put together and like magic and like uh, the inner seas which is the way all of these like the different planes of existence uh encounter one another which is in, in and of itself fa- uh, fascinating um i don't know if i'm telling this very well but it uh it, <laughs> it it's just like the the world's exploding and like me but it keeps this like razor focus on these characters how they're developing and their relationships with one another there's absolutely a lot of like problematic shit that's happening in the meantime but uh, it's all in service of like this really intensely good story, and this is, I think, like where the story really takes off for me. Okay, but have, what do you need to have seen already to be able to pick this up? Um, I feel like you could probably get away with just watching the first season and then this one. Uh, if you absolutely, you say the first season, we're talking about the one that aired last yes. year. Yes. Um, if you okay. absolutely want like a full understanding of like what's going on with Guts's backstory, like why he's so angry uh you can uh probably the easiest way to do that would be the movie trilogy um yeah which uh is on blu-ray now and i think actually pretty cheap it's three like 90 minute movies which covers the golden age which is like the the prequel arc uh that that they Mm -hmm. launched into almost right away at the beginning of the series i of course would always recommend the manga uh but um the the movies will do it too 
they they actually did a really okay. good job of summarizing that in a very like short period. Please mm-hmm. watch Berserk. <laughs> I really want to watch Berserk, but the only the only Berserk I've seen is actually the 1997 series, one, which uh, did you not like it? Sorry, I thought that oh, was I pretty good. It. I loved it. Okay, but I went. I started watching it last year, and suddenly there's this little flying character, and and guts is there, and everything's fine, and I'm like, wait a minute, where, where the 1997 season ended? <laughs> it was not in this place, so I was a bit confused, and it seemed like I needed to go back to the films to kind of get up to speed and then I started watching one of the films and it seemed to cover the same ground as the 1997 series so I was a bit confused uh yeah they, they um, retell the golden age uh where the where the mm-hmm. 1997 series starts with him killing that snake guy that's actually like shortly after the end of the golden age that's where guts it becomes like obsessed with revenge and he's finding finding yes. apostles to kill and stuff so yeah. then he meets puck who's kind of just a comedy character I guess uh yeah and so it just you know, I started watching it last year and you have Guts, he's there, he's completely fine. <laughs> Despite the end of the 1970 series being obviously extremely dark and that's where they leave you. Um, and he's got this this flying comedy character with him and it just, it didn't sit in, it didn't seem to sit in the same world. Oh yeah, so uh, I guess the movies, t- the movies bridge like the, the very end of the series to yeah. that a little bit. So yeah, I'd, I'd say watch the movies and you'll kind of find out why he is where he is. Okay. Yeah, I wouldn't say he's fine, but he's he's definitely not where he is at the end of the series. Yeah. What about all the uh, complaints I heard about the use of CG? Uh, uh, in... I mean, <laughs> it's it is better. It they good. they have improved it. I'm actually kind of disappointed because okay. I feel like Kato's 3D visuals are a lot better than Berserk's, which really kind of yeah. <laughs> pisses I me really... off. Yeah, but yeah, uh, Kato's actually <laughs> look pretty good, which is somewhat of a rarity. Yeah. Um, I feel like they're using some new techniques that uh, Arc System Works was actually uh, talking about at a recent GDC. How they made all their three, di- or they had two D sprites in their old fighting game, and they made them three dimensional. And I guess a lot of an- animation studios are becoming interested in these techniques uh, because they did. Re- it's amazing uh, the work they did. So I feel like uh, Kado may have benefited from being created later, and and maybe like having some more associations or using these techniques or something like that. Berserk, it's not the best, but I feel like, especially, I was super impressed with episode two of this season, actually, which was a backstory uh, for Farnese. You get to kind of learn about her upbringing, and they really stuck to, they didn't really focus on the CG aspect. They had more of the two-dimensional scenes they do sometimes, and I I felt like they did it really, really super well, which was super important because that's, like, very formative for probably the next couple seasons. Uh, So, uh, yeah, but there's a lot of clanging and and bad CG that, I mean, you just kind of, the story's good <laughs> enough. It's, it, yeah. it's worth it. It's worth it. Please watch Berserk. <laughs> okay. I would love to watch Berserk. I would love to watch Berserk. Maybe I just have to power through last year's season yeah. and kind of get to the what, point where it feels like it does make sense again. Whatever it takes. Yeah. Watch the movies. <laughs> <laughs> okay. My pick for recommended sequel is perhaps the most obvious one apart from Attack on Titan, which is My Hero Academia. Yes. Yay. I love this show yeah. so much. Um, I actually, it is a delight and it is a highlight of my week, genuinely. Um, so I haven't, I haven't been amazing at keeping up with the new shows. I have kept on top of the sequels I've been watching. Um, my Hero Academia comes first every time. Um, it, it really appeals to me as a big Naruto fan because I think it improves on what Naruto did in many ways. I think that you have 
a character who actually is supported. You have a character who is kind of in, you have multiple characters actually who are able to kind of express their emotions in different mm-hmm. ways. You have female characters who are able to show strength in different ways. It is a much more balanced series, I think, than Naruto. And I say this as somebody who loves Naruto, so please don't get upset with me for saying that. But My Hero <laughs> Academia has looked... Like, this has clearly been written by somebody who understands Shonen very well, and they've been able to distill what really touches people about Shonen, and they've been able to apply it to a new kind of series. And I really hope that this kind of sets the template for the kind of shonen jump shows we'll be seeing or series from we'll be seeing from now on. Uh, I saw this really cute comic that kind of showed um My Hero Academia as being sort of the <laughs> you know the, do you know that picture of the ninjas in in Naruto where you've got like Kakashi over Sasuke and Sakura and Naruto and yeah. he's just leaning over them as like their their teacher and they had this except with Goku as Kakashi. And then they had um, Naruto, they had Ichigo from Bleach, and they had Luffy from One Piece. And it was showing them as the three. And it was kind of saying that My Hero Academia is the next generation after after Goku (laughs) and after those three. Deku's Boruto or something. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think we want to be a bit kinder to Deku than that. (laughs) Give him more credit. But that's really how it feels to me that like this is the next generation of Shonen. And I Mm -hmm. was not won over by the first episodes of the first season. I watched them. I wasn't really engaged. It didn't really grab me. That's because it was just, at that point, Deku and All Might. And Bakugo was there, but he was pure antagonist at that point. He wasn't likeable. He still kind of is. Which is is fine. I like that about him, actually. Yeah, but over the course of the series, we have kind of come to understand that he's, he's not stupid. No. He's not yeah. coming. He's not kind of. He's, a, priv- he's it- a privileged jerk. I mean, they explain where he's coming from. I actually love that about Bakugo is that yeah. he's. Um, He's not the he's not the villain with the tragic backstory like oh he's a exactly. jerk because he has this no it's just that um, it turns out that when you're told from a young age that you're special um, you often become and an asshole that and... right there that right there I think that's so important mm-hmm. he he is big fish in a small pond oh, and yeah. he goes to UA and suddenly he's surrounded by like much bigger fish he's got people like Todoroki who becomes a rival he's got people around him like Deku who he had completely underrated but has is now kind of at his level we should say mm-hmm. and that's a really relatable situation told through a story of child superheroes and they do the same thing with All Might where his story is essentially one of aging you've got this extremely powerful man mm-hmm. who has this real physical strength he's got a real drive to help people and over time he's becoming less and less able to do that and it's for the right reasons and it's a really natural process and it's you know he's passed on this power to deku and he understands that this is this is just natural it's positive it's a good thing but at the same time he is no longer able to fulfill the role that has been kind of core to his life for so long and that again it's very relatable but it's told through a story of superheroes and i think that's what my hero academia is doing so well mm-hmm is it is giving you these entry points through multiple characters. I think it's such a strong ensemble cast. Yeah, pretty much every You can actually find... Pretty much every character is great, and there'll also be uh, maybe one or two who you can empathise with more than the others, because mm-hmm. just something about them will grab you. Yeah. 
and it's I mean that is the worst I, but <laughs> I think it's a really exceptional example of what shonen series can be mm-hmm. and I really hope that it sets the bar for the next generation to come I hope so too I really like my hero so yeah season two highly recommend it pretty sure season one is still streamable I it think. is yep. yeah it's yeah that's great I think that's about all we have time for today. We've run a bit over. Um, worth it. It's such a packed season. We're really enjoying keeping up with it. Yeah, and really looking forward to checking in at the end and seeing where some of these go. So if you want to get more of our work, um, the podcast is actually now available on iTunes and Stitcher. So you can subscribe to it. and You don't have to go to the effort of going to SoundCloud and listening to the track if you don't want to. You can just subscribe and get the tracks downloaded automatically to your phone or to whatever listening device you use. No effort whatsoever. Keep up with us. We're going to be doing weekly podcasts from now on. We've raised over $900 in Patreon income. This means that we can pay our editor, Peter, to edit these podcasts at a rate of $15 an hour. Um, You can find more of our work at www.animefeminist.com. You can find us on Twitter at animefeminist. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash animefem and patreon.com slash animefeminist. This is where we've raised over $900 in funding. Thank you so much to everyone who supports us. I've actually restructured the goals and rewards of Patreon just this week so that people can see exactly where this money is going, exactly what it's for. And then on the reward system, we've made it much more about access to the team. So we'll be kicking off that new system in June. So if you want to become a patron and take advantage of those benefits uh, from June, get in there now. Um, Our next funding goal is to be able to pay the team when they edit a contributor's work. So at the time of writing, we're just $210 away from that goal, which really is not a lot. So if you can spare a dollar a month, it really does add up please go to www.patreon.com slash animefeminist. Send us a dollar a month to continue our work. Thank you so much to Dee and Peter for joining me today. And please let us know what you thought of this season so far in the comments. Bye.